welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. There, Exodus chapter 2. We are in a sermon series here on what we call Rebuild. Rebuild is a, where we're looking at different areas of our life that God needs to, in many ways, what I would say, put back the pieces of the puzzle and rebuild our lives. And this morning, I believe we're going to be looking at a section of Scripture that is so important to us because if we do not basically not just get it under control, but eliminate this from our life, it will destroy us spiritually. And this is the issue and the sin of anger. So we're going to be looking here how dangerous it is to become angry. Moses' life was changed forever because he lost his temper he became angry one day. And listen, folks, if it can happen to Moses, who was a great prophet in the Old Testament, it can happen to you. I remember the story of the young man. He was living with his father. Dad was one of these men on Sunday afternoons, sits around in his lazy boy, watches TV, reads his newspaper, his book, which meant... If you're doing that on Sunday afternoon and you're a man, that means you're sleeping, watching TV, and reading a book all at the same time, just going in and out the whole time, throughout the whole afternoon. And he had a son who was about 25 years old there next to him. And the young man um, was sitting there with Dad, playing on his phone. That's what 25-year-olds do. And there was a fireplace, and they had a fire going there in Sunday afternoon. And the fire started to die down a little bit, and the room's getting a little cold. And the boy, or his son looks at his boy and says, Son, well, you might run outside and grab another log and put on the fire. Oh, we need one more log. Do you mind doing that, son? And the son said, Dad, I'm busy right now. And he's playing on his phone and says, oh, I'll do it later. And Dad's sitting there saying, He's getting cold. He, you know, he wants his boy to obey him. He lives there at the house. And he says, Son, um, uh, I'm asking you now. You know, I'm your father. I need you to go outside and grab another log, throw in the fire. I said, Dad, I really, I'm busy. I'll do it at my convenience. Well, at that point, um, father says, Listen, son, I'm not asking you anymore. I'm now telling you. I'm your father. If you're going to live at this house, you're going to stand up, go grab a log for outside and snow is one of those terrible days just like this snow everywhere cold it's just those days you want to live in florida and not want to live here you want to be down there in the promised land and so finally he says you're going to go outside and grab a log and you're going to put on that fire at that point the boy he uh puts down his phone and says fine that's it i won't live here anymore i'm tired of living under your rules i'm tired of you telling me what to do i'm leaving Young man stands up, goes upstairs, grabs his few possessions that he has. Of course, he grabs his phone, and he leaves. Hops in his car and drives to some friend's house that live on the other side of the town. He goes over there. You know, they have a bachelor pad, and he spends several weeks, several months over there, and he realizes this is miserable. They have no, no food. They can barely pay the electric bill. This is a dump, and I used to have it all there with, at Dad's house. After a couple months, he decides, I'm going I'm to go back to Daddy, see if he'll let me move back in with him. I'm tired of washing my own clothes and doing all my own stuff. I'm going to see if I can go home. So he goes back home, pulls up to his house, father's house, knocks on the door, says, 
And his dad's sitting right there, this lazy boy with same old, same old place, almost like nothing changed, watching TV, dozing off. Sees his son there, and he runs to the door, he's excited, opens the door, he's starting to cry a little bit, he hasn't seen his son in a couple of months, and gives his son a big hug, and the son apologizes, says, Dad, I'm sorry, I was disrespectful of you, I was disobedient, I should have obeyed what you said, and uh, will you forgive me and let me come back home? And of course his father missed his son, so he, he accepted him back in and kind of stepped back, indicating, son, you can walk on in the house now, and um, invited him in. But then as the son steps in, carrying his few packs, few belongings that he has, his father paused him right there as he got halfway through the threshold of the door and says, oh, and by the way, son, do you mind going to the backyard there and grabbing that log and throwing it on the fire? And at that point, the boy did it. The father didn't forget. Just because you lose your temper and you get angry and you storm off, that doesn't resolve the problem. If God asks you to do something, He expects, even if you go off for two months, throw a temper tantrum and make a fool of yourself, when you come right back to God, you're going to throw that log on the fire. You're going to ask for forgiveness. You're going to deal with the issue that was at hand. I want to tell you what the Bible says here before we read these verses here in Exodus chapter 2. It says here that Jesus got angry one time. It says in Mark 3, 5 that with the Pharisees, they were looking at him one day. Y'all don't need to turn to these scriptures. I'm just going to call them out. And they were watching him one day on a Sabbath, a day like today. And there was a gentleman who had a shriveled hand in a worship service. And they wanted to see if Jesus was going to heal the man on the Sabbath. That's what they were concerned about. And it says he became angry at them. Because they, they didn't care about the man. All they cared about is whether or not he's going to break the Sabbath. James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 commands us that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. We should be very slow at coming to anger. If you get angry, you're not going to be doing God's will. God doesn't need you to lose your temper to accomplish His purposes. You don't advance the kingdom of God with anger. It's not God's will for you to be an angry soul. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Anger provides an opportunity. It's not an opportunity for me. It's not an opportunity for you. It's an opportunity for the devil to cause you to sin. Because what happens when you go to bed at night and you're fuming mad, you're upset, and you're angry, and you carry it to the next day, and the next day it becomes bitterness. It seeps inside your soul. It's something that will destroy your spiritual life. And what's amazing about this passage here in Ephesians chapter 4, this was written by Paul in the context of marriage. Listen, you aren't going to be happily married if you're mad and angry all the time with your spouse. You're just not. That is not 
listen, think, think about divorce. Think how many divorced folks. You meet somebody who's gone through a divorce, they're mad. Both sides are mad. Usually both sides are mad. Because anger is something, it's when something occurs and you are hurt, you are going to lash out at that person. It's an opportunity of the devil. How can you come to church and be filled with the Holy Spirit of God if you're mad at your spouse? You're mad at your, your children. You're mad at your employer. You're mad at your boss. You just hate everybody. Psalm 4.4 says, Be angry and do not sin. Reflect in your heart while on your bed and be silent. Meaning, you go to bed at night. You should be examining your heart. You're laying there in your bed. Thinking, God, is there anger in my heart? Is there something that's eating away inside of me that I need to turn from? 1 Timothy 2.8, what innocent read. Such a powerful Bible verse this morning. I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands. He says, you come into the house of God, you lift up holy hands without anger or argument. Meaning, how can you come to church and you raise your hands, you raise your voice to God, you're excited to be here if you're fuming mad at someone else. You can't. You can't lift your holy hands, you can't have holy hands and be angry at the same time. Anger is something in our spiritual lives that we must seek and work to eliminate. It is an indwelling sin that destroys our soul. And it happened to Moses. Look here, Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. Years later, after Moses had grown up, Moses is 40 years old. He went out to his own people and observed their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, one of his people. Moses is a special child. He was a baby born when he should have been executed. His mother put him in the Nile River in a basket and floated him, just timed it perfectly, floated it right at the exact time, right in front of where Pharaoh's daughter would be taking a bath. Perfect timing by the Lord, because that's our God. He's a God of perfect timing in your life. It's no accident that you're here. It's no accident you're listening to this message. It was no accident that Moses, which means I drew out of the water. Moses, Pharaoh's daughter, hears a crying baby. Lo and behold, baby's floating down a basket, the Nile River, longest river in the world. She pulls out the baby. And think, wow, this is one of the Hebrew children. The reason why the Hebrew children were being experiencing genocide is because they kept multiplying. And Pharaoh was getting worried. There's too many of them. Let's start killing the baby boys. Anytime a society, a culture is killing its children, you have lost all moral authority. A moral compass is gone. That's why abortion is so bad. That's the, that's the evils of killing children, infanticide. But that was going on during the time of Moses. So, Moses is raised in the Egyptian palace. He was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. His first 40 years of his life, he lived a life of luxury. He lived a life 
receiving the best possible education. He lived a life as a Hebrew with the Egyptians, yet all of his people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, they were in slavery to the Egyptians. But he didn't experience that slavery. He was in the palace with Pharaoh. And one day he goes out, and he sees this Egyptian, a slave driver, a slave master, beating, striking, whipping a fellow Hebrew. And look what it says he does in verse 12. Looking all around and seeing no one. Listen, if you have to look around, that means you're about to do something you shouldn't do. Moses knows what he's about to do is wrong. Making sure there's no cameras. Nowadays it's hard to get away, so because everywhere you go there's cameras. And it's, you're being, we're somewhere we're being recorded. And he's looking around, and he doesn't see any cameras, doesn't see any people, so he's going to do something that's wrong, it's sinful. He sees no one, he struck the Egyptian dead, and he buried him, he hid him in the sand. Good place, I guess, to bury folks, just cover them up with the sand. The next day he went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting, so these are his own people. He's walking out and go, why are these people fighting? Now I want you to know, when people are under, they have been in slavery for 400 years. Joseph led, he took, because there was a great famine in the world, but because God raised up Joseph, they had stored up grain. He brought his entire family, his father Jacob and all his brothers, to the land of Egypt so they could live. Well, that seven years during the famine ended up lasting 400 years. 400 years these folks have been in slavery in Egypt. Now they were under a ruthless Pharaoh. And many times when you live under slavery, what happens is you lose your sense, you're just angry, you're mad, so the people are fighting all the time. One of the things many of us want today is we want justice in our world. There's so much injustice out there, maybe here in Lexington, throughout the United States, in the world. And it's easy for us to get angry about injustice. But the Bible tells us that ultimate justice rests with the Lord. We can't take justice in our own hands. God is just. The Bible says, God reminds us, that vengeance is mine. We rest ultimate decisions with the Lord. When Jesus comes back, and by the way, He is, or when we die and we stand before God and we give an account for our life, that is ultimate justice. There will be injustices that happen to you, that happen to me, that will never get resolved on this side of heaven. Until we meet God, justice won't occur. Why is that? Say, Pastor, why, why is that the case? Because we live in a sinful, fallen world. Bad things will happen. It occurs. This, what Moses is doing, is wrong. He's trying to take justice in his own hands. He killed a man he felt was beating his people. He decided, I'm going to provide a solution to this. So then he shows up and he sees two of his own people here fighting. And he says, he goes up to them. And he asks the one in the wrong, why are you attacking your neighbor? He said, brother, he's not the enemy. We don't fight our brothers. 
I mean, we're under Egyptian rule. But Moses' eyes are about to be opened. It says here, the man looks at Moses and says, who made you commander and judge over us? The man replied, are you planning to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Words out. Y'all know, if you ever have a secret, the best person to tell is God. Because if you tell anyone else, word gets out. It's no longer a secret. Moses thought he had a secret, but he didn't have a secret. Apparently everybody knew that just the day before or so, he had killed an Egyptian and buried him under the sand. So Moses is realizing, uh-oh, they caught me on video camera. I'm busted. The ring doorbell got me. What am I going to do? Moses is realizing he's got a situation, and it says he became afraid and thought, what I did is certainly known, which is true. When Pharaoh heard about this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. This is a shift, all of a sudden, a shift in Moses' life. Moses is 40 years old when this happened. Moses' life is broken down into three chapters. Chapters 0 through 40, he lives in luxury in the Egyptian palace there with Pharaoh. He loses his temper. He gets angry. He kills a man, kills an Egyptian. Pharaoh finds out about it. He had to immediately get out of town. He's a fugitive at this point. He's on the run. He runs to a land of Midian. Midian is what we call the Sinai Peninsula today. It's where Saudi Arabia is at. It's on the other side of the Red Sea from Egypt. It's just a desolate wasteland. It's a desert. There's nothing there. Back then, it wasn't part of Egypt. Today, it would be part of Saudi Arabia. Moses goes to a place out of Pharaoh's rule and reign. He's in this just nothingness out there. He spends 40 years, years 40 to 80, he lives in this desolate wasteland in Midian. He's a shepherd. This man went from luxury to being a nomadic shepherd, literally in just a day. I mean, just it was a quick change. One time when you change, lose your temper, it changes the course of your life. It happened to Moses. It can happen to you. Now, Moses lived there in Midian, in this desolate wasteland, for 40 years. When he was 80 years old, God finally called him. Anybody here 80? Okay, no 80-year-olds here today. But if you're 80, if you've been wondering, will God call me? Will God raise me up? Well, when Moses was 80, he got called by the Lord. And it was in this desolate wasteland. He was called by the Lord to go back to Egypt, back to Pharaoh, new Pharaoh. That Pharaoh had died. And to set his people free, and he would lead them. Actually, he led them right back to this desolate wasteland. And they wandered around for 40 years before they entered the promised land. That was Moses' life. First 40 is luxury. Next 40, he, just was a sh he was a shepherd, took care of animals in the middle of nowhere. And then the last 40... He led a bunch of whining Israelites around in circles in the desert. 
and had lots of problems with them and received the Ten Commandments along the way. Moses lost his temper and it changed where he lived. He's now out in the middle of nowhere. And it says in verse 16, Now a priest of Midian, this is a non-Israelite, a priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came to draw water and filled the troughs to water their father's flocks. Then some shepherds arrived and drove them away. But Moses came to their rescue and watered their flock. When they returned to their father, Rule, he asked, Why have you come back so quickly? Rule is another name for Jethro. So what happened? These seven daughters are at the local well in the middle of nowhere trying to get some water for their animals. And these shepherds came and tried to scurry them away so they could basically water their flocks. Say, ladies, get out of here. Moses, we have to remember at this point in his life, Moses grew up in the palace. He had a lot of authority until he lost his temper. So he's used to scurrying away shepherds. This is no big deal for him. He, he lived in, he, when he spoke people, he used to be, people did what he said. He had a lot of great boldness in those early years. So he ran off these little shepherds, giving these ladies a hard time. And they got their water very quickly. And then they went back to daddy. And in verse 19 it says, They answered their father, Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. Moses is a good man. Where is he? He asked his daughters. Why did you leave the man behind? Invite him in to eat dinner. Moses agreed to stay with the man. And he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses and Mary. Zipporah was not an Israelite. She gave birth to a son whom he named Gershom. For he said, I have been a resident alien in a foreign land. That's Moses' entire life. He lived in a foreign land. He was always a resident alien everywhere he went. After a long time, the king of Egypt, that's Pharaoh, he died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor. They cried out and their cry for help because of the difficult labor ascended to God. Well, we, when we see the word difficult labor, we're talking about slavery. These folks had been in slavery for 400 years. They were crying and longing for God. They wanted deliverance to the Lord. And they begged God to free them and take them back to the promised land. And you think about for us, I mean... It's hard for us to comprehend 400 years. Let's see, it's 2022. Let's go back 400 years. 400 years was from today, here in America, is 1622. Do you know what's going on in 1622? We had the pilgrims at like Plymouth Rock building a little colony and sharing the gospel with the Indians and having a great Thanksgiving meal. I mean, we're, we're at, that's, this is before the United States is be, you not, even the United States. That was 400 years ago. When we hear about that, that's a long, long time. We can't even comprehend what America was like. This was woods. Native Americans lived here. Now you think, things changed for the Israelites in 400 years. They went with Joseph to Egypt to get grain. 400 years later, they're in great slavery. 
400 years ago for us in America, we've got pilgrims who left England because of religious liberty. They wanted to do what we're doing right now at a worship service. To get away from the king of England, who's basically wanting them to be Anglins and Episcopalians, and worship according to how the king wanted, to say, no, we want to worship freely in this new world of America. Now, our country was founded on religious freedom 400 years ago. Religious liberty. Just because something was started 400 years ago does not mean it will always continue today. It doesn't. I mean, I think about something that happened this past week. Do you know here in our city, we have something called a ban on conversion therapy. But churches and pastors are excluded from it here in Lexington. But something happened this past week in a little town called West Lafayette, Indiana. Now that's where Purdue University is located. And that's a Big Ten school, and it's easy for us to think, oh, that's up in northern people, that's Big Ten. We are SEC country, we beat them. But I want to tell you, stuff that's going to happen up there one day will be here. There's a church there called Faith Bible Church in West Lafayette, Indiana. And they have what they call a biblical counseling ministry. So if someone in the community, counseling, by the way, is expensive. But this church had a counseling center. They have roughly 60 of their church members trained to counsel people for free. And they share the scriptures while they're doing it. They help people walk through life's problems, and they share God's word along the way. Their local city government in West Lafayette, Indiana, passed an ordinance this past week, not just for the city, but it also includes churches and pastors banning something called conversion therapy. Now, conversion therapy directly flies in the face of what we would call religious liberty, what our nation was founded on. Here's an example of what they banned. If you were at this church receiving counseling, and say you were struggling with homosexuality, and you tell your counselor, says, I'm wrestling with homosexual desires. And the counselor says, well, Bible says homosexuality is sin. Jesus Christ can change and convert you from that sin. You can go from being a practicing homosexual, being delivered by the gospel and the power of Jesus, to being set with a longing for God. God sets people free. Christ came to redeem and break the power of bondage, including sexual sin in people's life. Now, the Bible calls homosexuality, and the Old Testament is called sodomy. That's why the cities of Sodom were destroyed by God. Back with Lot, where he lived, and they sent in the two angels God did, and then rained down burning sulfur from heaven to destroy those, those cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. Those are, that's a sinful sin in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But now in West Lafayette, Indiana, it is actually illegal for that church and those counselors to tell a person who's struggling with same-sex attraction that they can be converted from that and be saved by the power of Jesus from what they're, the sin that they're wrestling with. Say, so what's the consequences? Listen, folks, that church will be fined $1,000 a day 
if they do that. And no church could sustain that. Paying a, a fine, government can tax you to death. $1,000 a day. They couldn't stay in business paying that type of fine. Couldn't continue doing that. Now, folks, that's right up the road in Indiana. You might say, well, we're excluded from that here in Lexington. You might be excluded now. But just like the Egyptians, Joseph brought his family to Egypt for food. It started out as a good deal. Let's get some free food. 400 years later, they were slaves. Just because we have religious liberty today does not mean we are always guaranteed religious liberty for tomorrow. Just because God blessed our country in 1622 does not mean if we as Bible-believing Christians aren't praying for revival, praying and preaching and sharing the good news and the gospel in our community right here in Lexington, doesn't mean God's hand is always going to bless our nation. The Lord could withhold His hand and literally our country could go the same way as the Hebrews were in Egypt. Just slavery. It was a miserable situation for the Hebrews, for them. They had a yoke upon them. They had lost their freedom. And it says in verse 24 here, God heard their groaning. Some of you have been praying prayers for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And the Lord's saying, don't give up. You've been praying for a lost person to get saved. Praying for revival. Praying for Lexington to be changed with the gospel. Praying for this church to explode in seeing young people and lost people come to know Jesus. God heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God does not forget. He did not Forget His promise. And look at verse 25. The key verse here. God saw the Israelites and God knew. You know what He knew? He knew His promise. Just as He's made a promise to you. It might have been many years. God knew these were His people. He knew the history of the Israelites. He knows the history of America. He knows the history of Broadway Baptist. He knows the longing of you and your family and what y'all need. God knows. What do we see here about Moses? What do we see about anger? The reason many of us might think, you know what, I don't have a bad temper. I'm okay. I don't really lose my cool that much. Maybe in the old days I did, but I've mellowed out now. But anger is deceitful. It disguises itself. Many people have anger and they don't realize it. Here are some examples of how you might be struggling with anger right now and not even aware of it. Anger comes out as silence, possibly, because you have resolved not to fight. You've decided, I'm not going to fight about this, so I'll just be quiet. And I want to tell you, that's me. That's how I would struggle. I'm not, I'm not a fighter. I ghost people if I'm not careful. I ignore. That's what I'll tend to do. I just, I just won't deal with it. I have the gift of forgetfulness. But the problem with that, there's some things in our lives, they have to be dealt with. You just can't pretend certain things just don't happen. In fact, I'll give you an example that happened about 10 years ago at a former church I was at. I was in a meeting. One time, one of these wonderful Baptist committee meetings. 
And we were in a committee meeting, and there was a lady in, in that church, and she was known to have, as we call a short fuse. You know anybody with a short fuse? She was known to, you had to walk on eggshells every now and then, and these were fragile eggshells because if you put too much weight on that eggshell, it would break and you would hear about it. When she was in this meeting, I want to tell you, this was a meeting about a bunch of nothing. It was like, din like VBS dinner menu. It was just, like, wasn't even a big deal. And we were in there, about five or six folks, and we, the majority of folks are suggesting one thing, and this one lady... She wanted something different. And we kind of voted, well, we did, we voted against her. It was like five to one. And it, was not, it wasn't any doctrinal issue or big deal at all. This lady, this is unbelievable. We're just sitting here. She jumps out of her chair, pushes the table, says, well, I'm, I'm leaving. I don't agree with this. And we're just sitting there looking at her like, well, my goodness. It's not that big of a deal. If you want your goldfish, eat them. I mean, it's just, you know, whatever. She runs out the door, and I'm not kidding. She takes the door, slams that door. I'm surprised the wall didn't fall down at the church. And storms home. And since I have the spiritual gift of not communicating, I, of course, don't call her or anything like that, but I got to see her again. This is like a little... Uh, Wednesday, Thursday meeting. I see her on Sunday, and she came up to me because I had learned her patterns. I said, Daniel, I just want to apologize for my behavior. I'm sorry I stormed out. I'm sorry I lost my cool. I'm sorry I lost my temper. I shouldn't have acted that way. I should have just gone along, and it wasn't even a big deal anyway. I said, you're right. I, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. But folks, I want y'all to know something. I made a big mistake, and I realized it when she walked away. I accepted her apology and basically blew it off. It was a big deal. Because it continued to happen. The anger that she struggled with was never dealt with. A few weeks, a few months later, she's in other issues with her eggs being broken and getting upset with folks. What I should have said when someone flies off the handle with you, when you know of someone in your family or maybe you that's dealing with anger, you need to address it and say, listen, you can't act that way. This is something you need to take to God and you need to ask forgiveness from. Christians can't go around slamming doors and not getting their way and throwing tables down if they're not happy. This isn't WWE, Monday Night Raw. This is a church committee meeting. This is God's house. We don't act this way. And what happens with many of us, our silence, our sweeping it under the rug, saying, well, that's just kind of how he is. He's just got a short fuse. He just kind of loses it every now and then. Just don't, don't talk about this. This should not be these off-limit things in your life that folks can't address because they're scared to death of you. Not only does it come out in silence, folks, it comes out in nagging criticism and relentless correction. Do you know of anybody that nags? Did you do this? Did you pay this bill? Did you take care of this? And they just nag. They poke and poke and poke. And it's just relentless. They just want to keep reminding you. Folks, that's actually an anger issue underneath. 
They have something they are upset about, and they don't trust you to do it. So they're just going to remind you over and over and over and over and over and over again. And it's annoying. And it's an anger issue. Not only that, here's a good example here. Anger can strike it at people when you strike at someone who has nothing to do with its origin. Let me illustrate this. Brian Kelly makes me upset. He says something that offends me. I'm offended by what Brian said. I'm mad at him. So then I walk down the hall and I bump into Zach. And I explode onto Zach. And then he's like, whoa! Man, I just want to know where you're going to lunch today. Where did this come from? I took my issue with Brian and I just took it and dumped it on someone else. Dumped it on Zach. That is an anger problem. And I'm the problem with that. Zach has no idea. Why are you allowing your anger sin, your anger issue, and destroying someone else with it? Folks, we are commanded to take our, our, the sin of anger and we must not just control it, we must get rid of it. This isn't an emotion to control or to manage. God can free you of a short fuse. He can free you from going around ruining other people's life with your temper. What happens when you surrender your anger? I'm asking you this morning to surrender your anger. You have a mouth. You have a mouth that once cussed at your husband. It now prays for his salvation. You give your mouth to God. You have your hands that once hit your wife. They don't hit your wife anymore. They, those same hands now carry your Bible. You have your feet that once would run to the bar. You get mad at someone, you slam that door and say, I'm getting out of here. I'm running away. And now runs those same feet to church. Anger is communicated by your mouth, your hands, and your feet. You get a hold of your anger. You control your anger by giving it to God because you can't manage it. We are sinful fallen people. You know, I think about Moses here. In closing, last, last story I want to share about Moses. This wasn't the only example for Moses, for him. Sadly, this man was, he coming down from the, being up on Mount Sinai for 40 days. And it was a sad sight to see. He sees Aaron, who built a calf, and they're worshiping it. I mean, they're literally breaking the first two commandments when Moses hasn't even left the cloud off Mount Sinai. He gets angry, and what does he do with those two Ten Commandments? One each side, he smashes them to the ground. The first set of Ten Commandments were broken because of Moses' anger. Not only that, Moses never entered the Promised Land. Do you know why he never went to the Promised Land? He lost his temper. In Numbers chapter 20, the people were complaining to Moses. They're saying, we are so thirsty. You've brought us to these waters of Meribah. We are dying of thirst. Moses, give me something to drink. This is awful. And he goes to God, and God says, Moses, you stand in front of all the people, and you speak to this rock, and the rock will flow water. The rock will give what the people want. And the Bible says God gave him a staff. Gave him Moses, God literally handed Moses the staff, his staff. Moses, this is what he does. He disobeys God. 
He walks up to the people with the rock standing there. He says, you rebels, must I bring water out of this rock for you for your complaining? He's mad, flaming mad. He takes the staff and he hits it one time and nothing happens. He hits it a second time and water comes out. He totally disobeyed God. God did not say to hit the rock two times with a staff. God said to speak to the rock and the water would come out. After the people drank their water, God says, Moses, I need to talk to you. God appeared to Moses and says, Moses, because you disobeyed me, because you lost your temper, because you did not show how holy I was as a Lord to these people, and you made the claim that you could bring the water out, you are not going to enter the promised land. This morning, some of you are not experiencing the promises of God. You aren't experiencing the blessings of God. You are not experiencing even a happy family, a happy home, because of anger. Anger destroys your life. Moses is a man of God who from a young man all the way up, he paid the consequences of anger. This morning, say, what do I do? I want you to say, God, I don't want to just manage or control this temper I have. I want to surrender it to you. You give your anger to God. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. There's no reason for you to be carrying it day after day. Anger is not something. We as Bible-believing, gospel-centered Christians should be known for. When you're angry, you are not in God's will. I'm going to invite our band to come forward at this time. We're going to respond to God. Now, many of you are saying, Pastor, how do I respond to a message like this? You might not want to publicly walk down this aisle and say, Church, I've got an anger problem. But you do need to, in your pew, say, God, I'm giving you my temper. I'm giving you this anger issue. I don't want to manage it anymore. I'm tired of trying to control it. You can't control anger. You surrender it, you repent of it, and you ask God to remove it from you. Now, some of you might be angry at God. Things didn't go, in your, your, didn't go your way in life. You've had difficult times. You want justice. Justice is found only with the Lord. You need to give your life. You need to get saved. You need to rededicate your life to God. And that's what we're going to do this morning. So we're all going to stand up. And we have a time of response in every single sermon here, every single message is ser service. Zach Bauer is going to be standing right now here. Teenagers, I want you all to come take his hand. You come take our wonderful youth pastor's hand. And you get saved this morning. Zach will baptize you. You surrender your anger. Maybe you're angry at your parents. Or if you want to make a decision, join our church. I'll be standing out front. Now is our time. You respond to the good news of the gospel.